This is 50 Feminist States, a road-tripping storytelling podcast visiting all 50 U.S. states to interview feminist activists and artists about their work for gender justice. I'm Amelia Ruby, and this week, we're in Wyoming. So I went to Alaska, but when I first went to, uh, to explore being a guide there, um, the owner said, no way, not hiring any women. Women don't belong here. Women aren't strong enough. Women just can't do this job. And I said, well, I'll be your first woman that will. If you're familiar with much U.S. history, you'll know that Wyoming has a long feminist past. In 1869, Wyoming was the first state to grant women suffrage. The following September, in September 1870, 69-year-old Louisa Swain was the first woman to cast a ballot under that law in her town of Laramie, Wyoming. This was 50 years before women were granted the right to vote by the 19th Amendment in 1920. In that same year of 1920, the 300-person town of Jackson, Wyoming, elected the nation's first all-women town council. A few years later, in 1924, Nellie Taylor Ross was elected as Wyoming's governor, becoming the nation's first female governor to be elected. She served for two years and went on to become vice chair of the Democratic National Committee and director of the U.S. Mint. She was the first of seven women to hold that position, out of the 39 people who have in U.S. history. All of this history is meant to illustrate how Wyoming earned its nickname, the Equality State. It's also meant to be a stark contrast to the reality of women's lives in Wyoming today. In the mid-1980s, women held nearly a quarter of state legislative seats in Wyoming. But now, women hold only 11% of those legislative seats, making Wyoming the most male-dominated state legislature in the United States. And while Jackson may have been the first town with an all-women leadership, it's now reported to be the most unequal metropolitan area in the country, with the top 1% of the population making 132 times the income of the bottom 99%. This is a far cry from local legend that says that the all-women town council would personally go around town to collect back taxes and fines. Another startling statistic As of 2016, Wyoming ranks 49th in the nation for the wage gap. This means that women in Wyoming make only 69 cents for every dollar that men in Wyoming make. That's 10 cents less than the 2016 national average. To learn more about Wyoming's feminist history and present, I spoke with two Wyoming women that we'll hear from in this episode. The first is Dr. Colleen Denny a professor of gender and women's studies at the University of Wyoming in Laramie. She studies comparative histories of feminist activism in England, New Zealand, and the U.S., and she'll share a bit more about the history of suffrage in Wyoming. The second person we'll speak with today is Jessica Baker, a skier and mountain guide who runs a company called Ski Divas in Jackson, Wyoming. She has a lot to say about the land of Wyoming and what it takes to succeed in a male-dominated profession. But before we get there, We'll hear from Dr. Denny first, and begin by learning about the history of women's rights movements when they began in mid-19th century England. This is Dr. Denny. 
the apocryphal story, I'd like to think it's true, is three women sat down together, two of the Garrett sisters and their friend Emily Davies in England, and Emily said, I'm going to go take care of women's education. I'm going to go start the school called Girton College at Cambridge. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Garrett, is going to go attack the medical profession, which she did. She became the first woman doctor in England. And then they said, Millie, it was her little sister, Millie, Millicent Garrett Fawcett, right? You can go take care of women's suffrage. <laughs> so awesome. So there it is, right? Yeah. Those three things. And so, you know, we've got professionalism taking care of, women's education, and, and women's, women's right to be citizens. Here are the three big umbrellas um, that really needed to be addressed. With that trifold framework in mind, here's more now about suffrage in Wyoming specifically. I think there was some women who were strategically placed to talk to the right people. And they were strong women who had been through it, right? They'd been through, this is Esther Morris. She'd been married more than once. She'd had, you know, she'd been a single mother. She, she saw what it was like to try and work with the legal system. This is in Illinois before she moved to Wyoming. And she was determined that someone was going to help women get the vote in Wyoming. Yeah, there is the argument that they gave... Uh, there were several arguments about why they gave women the vote. Gave them the vote, yeah. But Wyoming was still a territory. So these were pioneer places where not much was going on. The governments were provisional. And so it was like there were not all these systems in place to, to like keep women out. So they were able to move forward pretty easily with getting the vote. There was this, I mean, that wide open spaces thing, you know, is this is... We're going to make a difference. You know, we are this territory, and damn it, we're going to be the first ones to do this. I mean, there was that attitude, too. It's like, yeah, everyone deserves a vote, right? We're all out here. We're all doing this hard work. And they needed, you know, the one argument that sticks with me is, yeah, they needed women to vote because they needed to become a state, right? This is one of the big arguments. Uh, It's like, yeah, they needed more numbers. And I believe that one. I think that one's probably true. I want to recap that last argument Dr. Denny mentions here, because it is one of the most common arguments for why Wyoming was the first state to pass women's suffrage. As a fledgling territory, Wyoming needed more settlers to build the resources necessary to become a state. And in 1869, there were six adult men for every adult woman in the territory. So this argument says that Wyoming granted women suffrage because they hoped that would draw more women to the territory and raise their population as they applied for statehood. One of the other important things that Dr. Denny underscores here is that while Wyoming does have this history that we can call feminist, perhaps it was not driven by feminist motivations. There's a quote from John Morris, the husband of Esther Morris, whom Dr. Denny mentioned earlier, that keeps standing out in my mind when I think of Wyoming's suffrage history. He says, It is a fact that all great reforms take place not where they are most needed, but in places where opposition is weakest. I don't know if this is necessarily a fact, but it does seem striking that perhaps in Wyoming, it wasn't that suffrage was the most necessary or the most urgent issue, but rather, Wyoming was the place where it had the least opposition. When I think of it that way, it seems less surprising that Wyoming's history has moved from these feminist origins to a pretty hostilely gendered present. Wyoming's a challenge. I've raised both my kids here. I came here for the job. I've been here 28 years. I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Wyoming. 
I love the landscape. I love to be able to breathe. And I think, you know, when you get places like Wyoming where we are so isolated that there is a real sense of community that you have to depend on each other, right? Um, you know, if you've read Laura Ingalls Wilder, you realize just, you know, how isolated you can be out on those plains and what some of those women's lives were like. But I, I kind of just, yeah, it's free. There's, there's a lot of freedom here, I feel like like we're not entrenched. Like this whole pioneer spirit is still with us, right? In both good ways and bad ways, right? Um, but I, I think that's a big piece of it. This connection to space in Wyoming is one that I heard about from everyone I spoke to there. This might have something to do with the fact that Wyoming is the 10th biggest state at almost 100,000 square miles, but it also has the smallest population of any state in the U.S. As a result, the population density of Wyoming is only six people per square mile, which is to say that people might talk about space in Wyoming because there is a whole lot of space. Professional skier and mountain guide Jessica Baker also fell in love with Wyoming because of the space, particularly the mountainous terrain of western Wyoming. Now we'll hear her talk about how her career started in Jackson. So I, I uh, my Bachelor of Science was in geology, and then I had a minor in arts, which is sort of a funny combination, but uh, I came to Jackson, and I did get a job as a hydrologist to, to start. So I was still skiing, of course, but... Um, I really loved it. I enjoyed the work. I loved the intellectual side of it, but uh, just something in me just kept saying, like, this is great, but this really isn't, like, your real, real passion. So um, so ultimately, I moved more into the skiing side of it more full-time, but uh, it, it was a bit of a – it was sort of like a, a hard thing to swallow. I'm like, really, is that my profession, and is that okay? Like, are people going to accept that as, like, a real profession, or is, am I just looked at with, like, oh, she's just playing, you know? But at this point, I think I've earned the respect as, as a professional skier and guide, so, so it's worked out that way. It's hard to imagine that Jessica hasn't earned this respect as a professional skier and guide. She's a medal-winning competitive skier, a business owner, and a certified professional guide. She's also the first woman Hella Ski Guide for the Alaska Rendezvous Ski Guides. For outdoor sports novices like myself, who aren't familiar with heli-skiing, it's skiing where you take a helicopter to the top of wherever you plan to start skiing from. Just imagine replacing ski lifts and bunny slopes with helicopters and black diamonds. While you're picturing that, hear Jessica share what it took for her to become the first woman heli-ski guide at this company. So I went to Alaska. I sought out Alaska Rendezvous Guides because... It was a smaller sort of up-and-coming operation. They had a really neat base. I liked the community people there. But when I first went to uh, to explore being a guide there, um, the owner said, no way, not hiring any women. Women don't belong here. Women aren't strong enough. Women just can't do this job. And I said, well, I'll be your first woman that will. And and in a way, I was just it was a glutton for punishment because it was a brutal process. For two years, it was pretty painful a lot of tears a lot of questioning why I was doing what I was doing but ultimately I broke through that barrier and uh and became the first woman female guide for that that uh, operation and I think you know it, it helped break a lot of barriers for for not only that operation but sort of on the past there were a couple other women that had worked in heli skiing operations in that region before, but even one of them had still wasn't working. So it was, it had come down to like two of us that were left 
and I had just gotten a position. So there just really weren't that women, many women there and not, not a lot of women to turn to either. So that process was a bit painful. And, and even still that history with the company, even though I still work for them, sometimes bites at me a little bit, you know, like I, I, I have some defensiveness um, in relation to that, that whole process still, even though I'm like one of the most senior guides and I have a, a very good position there, I just feel very defensive still because it took so much to get to that place. And I don't think I could have done it if I didn't have the impetus inside myself to keep pushing through moments where I'm like questioning everything, of course. And what advice does Jessica have for other women seeking to follow in her footsteps professionally? I think it's changing. I really do. I think the culture is shifting. I don't know how fast or how quickly. Like, I feel like I've I'm sort of reached the other side of it, but I, I can see other women struggling to, to make their way th- into this profession. I mean, if you look at the AMGA is the, um, like, governing body to certified mountain guides in America. Mm-hmm. If you look at their enrollment, you know, they're getting 10 to 20% at most per course or exam, if that. And that's not that high. So... You know, there there are many factors for that. You know, women want to have families, and it's not a very conducive uh, profession for that kind of thing. And um, it's sort of a male-dominated world. Maybe it's not that appealing to women to be like, oh, I'm going to go immerse myself with a bunch of men in the middle of nowhere in the mountains for how many days in a row and test myself with them. You know, it, it can be daunting, intimidating, and maybe not even that appealing. So I think we have a long way to go, but I think things are progressing. Like, there are so many more financial opportunities for women like like scholarships and sponsorships that that help them move forward for their goals but I would say my advice is you know if you, if you really believe in it keep plugging away at it don't let people you know break down the confidence that you've built up for yourself like know what's yours and know what's right for yourself inside and don't let anyone else I guess don't let anyone else weaken that confidence within you and if you hold that no matter what obstacle you come to, you'll be able to push through it. And and it takes a lot of work. I think you have to work hard for it. It takes time. There's there's no easy way to get into like the profession that I'm in. But at the same time, if you work hard and you stick with it and you dedicate yourself, you can do it no matter what. Jessica isn't exaggerating the male-dominated terrain of her profession or its difficulty. According to the AMGA, that's American Mountain Guide Association, only 131 Americans have become fully certified guides. And as of early 2018, only 11 of those were women. And while she works within and against these barriers professionally, Jessica also instills this tenacity in clients of her company Ski Divas, through which she takes women of diverse ski levels and backgrounds all over the world to ski on extreme terrain. This was one of the things that interested me most about Jessica's career the ways in which she not only is the first woman to have become a Hella Ski Guide with her company or to push against certain professional barriers, she also wants to make sure the space opens to other women who may or may not have any aspirations to become professional skiers, but who deserve to see and ski these extreme terrains as well. I, I called my business Ski Divas because I'm like, I want women to come and like gain some attitude and like be be spunky and like you know, show their true side and, and then really break through their own barriers. So I think women that are doing maybe like a women's only ski camp for the first time sometimes start shy 
and a little bit reserved. And I find by the end, they've opened up quite a bit, which is really exciting. And then for those that maybe have already, already have a bit of confidence or, or just realize they do want to be in a supportive group of women, I find that they, they really, uh, you know, they really shine through, like they, they really kind of come, come into their own and, and feel more expressive through the whole process. And, and, you know, a lot of people work through their fears too. So it's, uh, it's, it's sort of like a, an ebb and flow of like feeling really confident and then feeling lower and, and trying to work through something. And, and that's really where, where I come in is it's just helping people work through either a fear or um, some kind of blockage in their mind or, or whatever it is. And, and, and people generally do come through. I've, I've noticed that, you know, the women that do go through my programs end up starting to look at my other programs more and more often because they're like, wow, that was so inspiring or that really felt good to do that. I want to do another one, a a new one, a different one. Jessica's offered these ski programs in France, Argentina, Canada, and the Arctic. But in the end, she always comes back to Wyoming where she's now raising a family. The interesting thing about Wyoming is it really does have a lot of history uh, in like women's rights and like, you know, women uh, were able to vote here very early on. There was the first uh, all women's town council was here in Jackson, Wyoming. There's all sorts of like cool, strong women's history in the state, whether people recognize it or not. I think in Jackson, it's a very proud history. If you look at the news in Wyoming or if you just look at like a newspaper in Jackson, you see a lot a lot of women in the news. There just is this like entrepreneurial leadership type of spirit that comes out of the women that, that are here. I've, I've noticed it. And even the women that ski here are like so strong and so good. Even the ones that are, are never known, you know, just, just, just some amazing athletes and uh, very uh, ambitious women. So I do think there's something to that. And obviously there is in the history of Wyoming as well. Even though Wyoming is a very conservative state, there's, there's, uh, uh, something there. And I think it's, it's still in, in Wyoming's blood and it's still happening. So that's, that's very good. It's, it's great to be raising two daughters in Wyoming. I like that. If you're interested in learning more about skiing and guiding, Jessica has shared information about her background, training, and expertise on the Outdoor Research blog, which I'll link to in the show notes. Outdoor Research also runs a program called She Adventures that provides various opportunities and scholarships to women hoping to find outdoor adventure. I'll link to that in the show notes too. I also want to provide a shout out to a group I learned about recently that is working to get more people of color into adventure sports. They're called Melanin Base Camp, and you should definitely follow them on Instagram at Melanin Base Camp to fill your feed with more people of color diversifying the mostly white and mostly male outdoor adventure space. And if you're interested in the history of feminist activism in Wyoming and elsewhere, you can check out Dr. Denny's new book that was just published with McFarland Press. It's called Raise Your Banner High, The Visual Culture of Women's Activism from 1860 to the Present. Her next project will explore the pioneer spirit of suffragettes in Wyoming and New Zealand. Reflecting on these conversations, I'm struck by the ways in which pioneering women thrive, even in oppressive conditions. Whether it's early Wyoming suffragettes in mining towns, or Jessica Baker on Wyoming's mountainous slopes, Wyoming women face and conquer extreme conditions every day. This is a true testament to their spirit, but it shouldn't be used to mask the reality of the systemic injustice they face that results in the lack of legislative representation and increasingly high wage gaps cited earlier. Wyoming is a place that challenges us to celebrate its pioneering women while fighting against the oppressive structural realities they face. 
Next episode, we'll travel west again to Idaho. Until then, I'll see you on the road. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of 50 Feminist States. You can follow 50 Feminist States to stay updated on episodes and road trip happenings on Instagram at 50 Feminist States. That's F-I-F-T-Y Feminist States. Our opening music is by Lobo Loco, and this wonderfully sexist song that you're listening to on our way out is a recording by Billy Murray from 1916. Special thanks go out to Colleen and Jessica for meeting with me and sharing their insight into Wyoming's feminist landscape. I also have to thank the hundred or so Kickstarter backers who made funding this season possible. Until next time, Wild Ones, we'll see you on the road. You made the grizzly bear get up and do the hula dance, but can you tame wild women? If you can, please tame my wife. 